advantage of the day. Okay. When you get an opportunity in this game, you make a play. Yeah. The playmakers on three. One, two, three. Touchdown, Kansas City. The Chiefs are right in the thick of it, baby. Hello once again, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Defending the Kingdom, brought to you by Ticketmaster. And yes, the schedule being announced this week, Ticketmaster will be your new best friend for both home and away games. We're excited, first of all, about the schedule. We'll do a DTK later in the week that will detail the 2023 schedule, but we cannot wait. It's like uh, opening the packages in the, during the holidays. It's a great example of how the NFL has taken over the world and the entire <laughs> calendar, where we are months away from any games being played. But first of all, the announcement of the announcement is a big deal. Like everyone's freaking out when we know when the schedule will be announced. They came out uh, on Monday saying that it'll come out on Thursday. We'll hear sporadically about certain games uh, in the meantime, but it's a big deal. We already know our opponents, but we'll figure out when the primetime games are, when the Thursday night games, the Monday night games are, and, and also the order that we're playing all these games in. So excited for that so we can figure out our lives here for the next six months. I don't know if it worked with your parents. It didn't with mine to do the begging of, can I open just one? <laughs> can I just open one gift before uh, Christmas? And that never worked. But that's kind of the way NFL fans are. Just And then they'll leak a little bit out, like that maybe our opening Thursday night game or the international games are going to be – and they just give a little bit out, a little bit at a time, uh, just to keep your appetite whetted. Well, for us, the next thing was the rookie minicamp, quite honestly. And you go back and watch previous Defending the Kingdoms. And by the way, I'm Mitch Holtis, voice of the Chiefs. <laughs> I didn't even introduce this. And he's Matt McMullen, senior team reporter. But rookie minicamp. And you're like, gosh, does that even matter? Yes, it does. Remember, every day matters. Uh, we'll get into that uh, and what, especially dealing with the undrafted rookie free agents, where the Chiefs have a great history uh, of great UDFAs that have become awesome players, some of the best in franchise history. We'll get into that in a second, but before we do so, let's go around the world, our rookie minicamp edition, our UDFA edition of Around the World. Yeah, this will be a big-time nerd episode. Just <laughs> brace yourself now. This uh, is if you, nerd. If you truly love football, you'll enjoy this episode. I was talking about rookie minicamp here in May. But first, let's go around the world. I have six today, people around the world listening to DTK. We have Susan in Amarillo, Texas. For Brian Cook. For Brian Cook, perfect. We have Susan in Amarillo, Texas. I think that's our first Amarillo listener. Uh, ben is in Shinfield, Essex, United Kingdom. Yeah. Uh, Jack is in Madera Ranchos, California. Madera Ranchos, California. You got me on that one, buddy. Yeah. Shout out to Jack. Uh, Penny is in Calhoun, Missouri. You know where that is? I don't. I'll figure that out. Now. Okay. Give, me, give me a little time. Uh, Joe's in Tucson, Arizona. Preston is in Waverly, Iowa. And a bonus, we have an update on where Denver, Iowa is. Remember last week we were trying to figure out where Denver, Iowa was? Well, it's just north of Waterloo. Ah. Yeah, a town of 2,000 people. You probably like it a lot. I love those small towns. That's Packer country, though. You get north of Waterloo. You're up in there in that northeastern part of Iowa. A lot of Packer country, but thank you for representing <laughs> the Chiefs kingdom and be close when the Chiefs play the Packers and whatever week that would be uh, when the Chiefs go to play at Lambeau uh, field again against Green Bay. And now, what is it, Calhoun, Missouri? Calhoun, Missouri, yeah. yeah. My That's phone, the homework. My Penny. phone's going to be blowing up, Penny, uh, with all the folks. You don't know where Calhoun, Missouri is, so <laughs> thank you for the geography lesson, but love it when we go around the world. And honestly, love it when we get to watch to nerd out on rookie minicamp 
yeah. and the undrafted free agents. Think about in Chiefs history, guys like Oderon Cherry, who was at the rookie uh, dinner uh, on Friday night that I got to MC, and I mentioned there were nine legends there, former players, including uh, Duran Cherry, and I mentioned all of the UDFAs of the 79 players that were part of rookie minicamp, the seven draft picks. That's last week's episode. But then the uh, undrafted rookie free agents that were already under contract, and then the tryout guys. That's kind of the three levels. And some guys that played last year that could practice early. Guys like Mike Caliendo comes to mind, played center throughout the rookie minicamp. But the uh, undrafted free agents down through history, when you look at it, and even in the Andy Reid era, a guy like Tershawn Wharton, Turk Wharton, the pride of Missouri Rolla, the University of Missouri Rolla, and what he has done to help this team win his incredible play against the Washington Commanders back in 2021. Daryl Williams, uh, part of a Super Bowl championship. Byron Pringle makes the key block on the run to immortality that makes it a touchdown and not a first down. It's the most underrated block in Super Bowl 54. Marcus Kemp, we know what he did. Ron Parker, undrafted free agent. And then Dirty Dan Sorensen, who uh, of these 10 years of Andy Reid being the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, you think that Dirty Dan Sorensen was an undrafted free agent and the big plays that he made to help the Chiefs become a champion and to make this string of uh, seven straight AFC West titles, Dirty Dan, big part of that. There's so much attention put on the first round of the draft, and for good reason. But the best teams and teams like the Chiefs find contributors once the draft is over. And it would be so much fun to be in the draft room when Brett Veach and his front office people are identifying all of these guys because they're the best in the business at finding contributors once the draft concludes. You mentioned some of them, uh, a few others, guys like Shane Bouchelle at quarterback was an undrafted free agent a few years ago. Tommy Townsend, one of the best punters in the NFL, was an undrafted free agent. And Jack Cochran, one of my favorite players, I always talk about him because my, my wife went to the University of South Dakota where Jack went. But Jack made a huge play, a huge block on Sky Moore's punt return uh, against the Bengals that put the Chiefs in a position to go win that game in the AFC Championship game. So every year, I say you might not know who these guys are initially, but one of them is going to make a big play at some point this upcoming season, and we'll look back on it and say their career with the Chiefs began during this rookie minicamp. And Tommy Townsend had a chance to introduce him to the throng on Friday down at the NFL Draft and to think how he shattered uh, the gross and net punting records and think about Gerald Wilson in this history of this franchise and then also Dustin Colquitt and what Tommy Townsend did last year to really just kind of dominate net punting for sure uh, in the National Football League and being an undrafted uh, free agent. But let's talk about rookie minicamp overall, too. You think, ah, does that really matter? And yes, it does. Because let's just take the seven draft picks before we dive into some of the undrafted rookie free agents. And guys, I mean, when you think of Rice at the wide receiver, Rasheed Rice, and it was so hot. It felt like St. Joseph. It felt like July in St. Joseph. Unusually hot in the first weekend of May, you're talking mid-90s, and the two days you're on the, just the surface of the sun on Saturday and Sunday. And we know with a guy like a wide receiver like Rasheed Rice, who the Chiefs are counting on, how Coach Reeves approaches that rep after rep after rep after rep. All of these receivers have to know every position. Are you an X, you Z, you Y, you slot? Uh, you got to know them all. And, I mean, he got a lot of reps in the heat. Same with the other uh, rookies that were participating, fully participating. Felix Anaduke Uzama uh, was not because of the broken hand, but he did some. But the point here is 
this was an orientation of how the Chiefs work and how the Chiefs practice. And, oh, they had to do it in unusual 90-degree heat that left a lasting impression with everybody in this rookie minicamp and especially the seven draft picks. And let's explain a little bit about what rookie minicamp even is. Uh, it's three days. It began on Saturday and lasted until Monday. Uh, 79 total participants were on the roster. Doesn't mean all of them participated, but 79 guys uh, were on the rookie minicamp roster for the Chiefs. 51 tryout players. Those are players that went undrafted that do not have a contract with the Chiefs and are just trying to impress enough where they can maybe earn a contract. Uh, 16 undrafted free agent signees participated. Seven draft picks, four eligible veterans. You mentioned that. Uh, guys like Mike Caliendo, who didn't play in any NFL games last year. They're not a rookie, though, uh, but they're still able to participate in this camp. And one international player pathway program signee from Nigeria. So just a whole bunch of players really in one spot. Uh, 79 players, think about that. That's larger than a normal in-season NFL roster. And what's so amazing about the Chiefs is they're so efficient and they're so good at planning and programming all of this where they can maximize every single minute. Now, there are uh, discussions about the playbook. They run plays, they do installs, all that kind of stuff. But almost more importantly, they just give these guys a chance to learn about the facility. Where's the bathroom? Where's the <laughs> locker room? How do I put my jersey on? What's How's practice work? That's what this is all about. You said orientation. That's a great way of putting it because when OTAs start in a few weeks, the veterans will be here, and they're going 100 miles per hour, and there's not the time for all the individual one-on-one -on -one coaching uh, from the coordinators and from all the position coaches because they're working with the veterans as well. This was a chance to get a head start, to learn, okay, this is how I do it. Let's figure out the muscle memory of how each day at practice works to be a member of the Kansas City Chiefs. So when OTAs roll around in a few weeks, these rookies can hit the ground running. They know how it all works. So rookie minicamp is super important, very easy to dismiss, but it's very important. And for those 51 tryout players, we're recording this here on Tuesday. We could sign one of these guys today for all I know or tomorrow, uh, and the news could, we don't know it yet, but it could uh, happen here uh, by the time you listen to this. It's the most important tryout of their lives. They're trying to make it to the NFL. This is their only opportunity, and I think some guys put their best foot forward. But rookie minicamp is a lot of fun. There's no tackling going on. It's not live hitting. There's no pads. But it's a great opportunity to get things going. I put it on Twitter. The other part of the numbers of rookie minicamp were 27 players were from Power 5 schools. 21 were from group of five, FBS but not Power 5 schools. Then there were 19 from FCS schools, basically the old Division 1A, 10 from Division II schools. You mentioned the gateway player, but then also another international player from Canada that were part of the group. So all shapes, sizes, schools, doesn't matter. At the rookie um, uh, dinner on Friday night, I mentioned one of the things about the Super Bowl four team was that fully one-third of that Super Bowl champion team back in 1969, winning in January of 70, one-third of that team were from HBCU schools, and that was 53 years before the HBCU Legacy Bowl. So the point here is it's an opportunity, and you laid it out so very well. And you're thinking, well, wait a minute, orientation, where to go to the bathroom? And, <laughs> but you know, you're going to let most of those guys go, yes. But if they impress, you mention it, we always sign one or two of them. I fully anticipate one or two of those tryout guys, 50-some tryout guys, will be signed to the roster. And then it indeed goes into the off-season training program and the OTAs 
when they're uh, on the roster. The other thing is is the work habit. It's it's a, I cannot overemphasize just the work habit that's involved when I don't care what college program you come out of. When you come to Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs, this is the first indication of what you do, what's expected of you. And again, this year it was intensified because of the weather and the heat. And it's hard because a lot of these former college players, they were the best player on their high school team. They were one of the best players on their college team. And sure, they've worked really hard in their careers, but also they are just better than almost everyone they've ever faced. Well, all of a sudden in this rookie minicamp, even playing against tryout players who are still all worthy of that tryout uh, distinction, you're playing against the best players you've ever played against every single day. Coach Reed mentioned that just a few days ago. It's very difficult. So how do you respond to that? How do you respond to the heat? How do you respond to things maybe not going well right off the bat? That's where you find out who your contributors are going to be. Let's talk about some of the undrafted free agents that necessarily may not make the team. We're not predicting they'll make the team, but they caught our eye during rookie mini camp. And again, with the history of undrafted free agents uh, in the Chiefs Kingdom history, and last year Jack Cochran made it, but again, much like we're anticipating one or two of the tryout guys would become uh, part of the roster, at least going into the offseason program, that we fully anticipate one or more undrafted free agents making the 53-man roster this year. And if not, they'll probably be on the practice squad and be elevated at some point. You see that all the time. Just because you don't make the 53 in late August doesn't mean that you don't have a chance to contribute on this team. It's a long football season. The practice squad is, what, like 16 guys now? So if you're a UDFA, you impress throughout the offseason training program, Maybe you don't make the team right away, but if you get waived, no one else claims you, you land on the Chiefs practice squad, you have a great chance of contributing later on. And I looked it up. I don't think Jack Cochran made the team out of training camp. I believe he was on the practice squad, but then got elevated almost right away. I could be wrong about that, but I think he had a chance uh, to go elsewhere, but he stayed here in Kansas City and ended up being on the, the roster almost the entire season. But just because these guys don't make it initially doesn't mean they won't have a chance to contribute later on. And you and I, always at training camp, we wait till St. Joseph usually, but sometimes we get tempted to do it earlier. We always predict <laughs> who we think will be an undrafted free agent that will make the team. So we're going to give you some names just to give you examples. But, again, do not take it any further than the fact that these are just a few names. Not necessarily a guarantee that they would make the team. Uh, so let's don't get ahead of ourselves. They're under contract as of this recording. <laughs> yes. And, and, again, that could change. But – Nico Romigio is a guy who is a, listed as a wide receiver uh, at a Fresno State, but he also played at Cal, I believe, before that and was a, a grad transfer. But he's a guy that you see, they played him in the slot. They moved him all over. I do think the return game is going to be big. I, you'd think that they wouldn't have Isaiah Pacheco be the kickoff returner, and so that kickoff return job could be wide open going into St. Joseph in, in specific but this is an undrafted free agent, played his final year at Fresno State, that caught our eye during the three-day rookie minicamp. And if you look at his career, he was mostly a return man, sometimes a slot receiver at Cal, but really just had a tremendous season his one year at Fresno State. 
Uh, 74 catches for 852 yards, six touchdowns, and two punt return touchdowns, which is tied for the most in the FBS. So if you're looking for a player who can kind of take on that role, who can be a punt or a kick returner, uh, who can also contribute on offense, uh, this guy might fit the bill. He was impressive in rookie minicamp, very shifty with a lot of speed. There was one play that stood out to me where it was an underneath uh, route, and the ball was thrown a bit behind him. He adjusted to it on the fly, caught it without breaking stride, and then continued running. That was very impressive for a rookie player, particularly a UDFA trying to make the squad. So impressive stuff from him. Another one that comes to mind of a, an impressive UDFA in this uh, three-day rookie minicamp, and one that I think uh, will be uh, garnering attention is Deneric Prince, the running back out of Tulsa, who's this kind of fullback kind of looking body, big uh, but he also has a lot of skill. He, too, a potential kick returner. Think of Niall Davis. In fact, he actually wore 34 during rookie minicamp. It was hard not to get the, the comp. And it's so it happens so often. You put a number on a guy, right, uh, and you start to think about that person and the, the, the number that was worn before them. Uh, don't get tricked by the wide receiver from Arizona State wearing 15. That got my wife's eyes. Like, <laughs> 15? They're giving Patrick? No, 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 no. Just it's rookie minicamp. But still, uh, the Prince uh, from Tulsa is also catches, catches your eye just because of his blend of power and finesse and a potential returner. I was at a wedding over the weekend, so I actually missed the first two days of rookie minicamp, and Mitch would fill me are in. You gonna, are you going to be full? This is full disclosure. Oh, I'm just going to put it all out there. Okay. And uh, we're at the church for the wedding. <laughs> and I mean, we're kind of in the back, and things were moving along, and I get Mitch's updates on what's happening. And we had talked about how Deneric Prince kind of has the build of Niall Davis, and maybe he could fit that role if he earns that opportunity. And Mitch texts me, you'll never believe what number Deneric Prince is wearing. He's number 34. and <laughs> just gives me all these updates. Uh I had a great time at the wedding. It was a lot of fun seeing my friends. But was at this the same during time, the wedding? Was yeah, it, I mean, I, it was a long wedding. There's a lot going on. It was in the middle of, you know, <laughs> a transitionary period of, you know, I didn't miss them saying their vows and everything, but I just got to stay updated on what's going on, and, and you were doing that. I have no shame. My wife was looking at me going, you've got to be kidding me. Your but, respect level in the kingdom just <laughs> went up like 50 notches. It's rookie man camp. And he's now, you. those of you who are following this podcast are going, see, I can do it. <laughs> Matt did it. Yeah, I give so, you permission to do yeah, to do yeah. that. you got to follow what's going on. <laughs> Prince is interesting, though. Um, good size, is six foot uh, tall, 216 pounds. He ran a 4'4", 140 at the combine that was fourth best among all running backs and he also had a 10 foot five inch broad jump that was fifth best among all running backs so has some good size he's fast uh, he's explosive you see that with that broad jump and he averaged more than five yards per carry in each of the last three seasons at Tulsa so I'm very interested in Deneric Prince then there's a couple we're going to throw some linebackers here at you and people go how did they not get drafted because cam jones of indiana is going to go or we're going first a weak side linebacker could also play the middle but i saw some stuff i went back to my pre-draft i mean some give him a third round grade there was fourth round grades with cam and then he didn't get drafted by anybody now some of it is the 2023 draft where after the first couple of rounds, maybe the mid-second round, maybe into the third, this was just wide open. Like, I wish I could look at all 32 boards because I think it would be more divergent than in most years. And everybody's just all over the board, no pun intended. But then guys kind of sneak through the cracks. And here's Cam Jones of Indiana, who was impressive. The first play of rookie minicamp, uh, he smells out a screen. Like, his recognition to see the screen was uncanny. 
and it's one of those plays that just kind of flies off at you uh, that would fly off the video, or, but, but to see it in person. But this is a guy who's a tackle machine at Indiana. He was a leader at Indiana, two-time captain at Indiana, and he goes undrafted, but somewhat the, someone that merits uh, at least discussion. Now, he got hurt last season. He had a foot injury that basically ended his season. Had it not been for that injury, I think he – I'm almost certain he would have been drafted, and I think he would have been drafted like in the fourth or fifth round. I truly believe that because Dane Brugler from The Athletic, my favorite draft analyst, I read his draft guide like it's the Bible, uh, he had him being drafted in the fifth or sixth round even with that injury in mind because uh, look at his numbers and his production at Indiana. He racked up 208 tackles, 13 and a half tackles for loss, 11 passes defensed, seven sacks and five forced fumbles in 47 career games for the Hoosiers uh, on his way to a career season. Uh, also last year um, through five games, he was leading the big 10 in tackles per game before suffering that season ending injury. Just a really impressive player, but not just what he does on the field. When he got hurt last year, a lot of guys could have checked out. They could have just been rehabbing on their own, just staying away from the program. Uh, Dane Brugler's draft guide mentioned that Cam Jones was on the sideline for every game as an additional coach, even after he had gotten hurt and knew his season was over. And I saw that when he spoke to the media on Monday. Uh, he was talking about how much he relished this opportunity and how much he enjoyed getting to work with Coach Daly and the linebackers. And Coach Daly apparently put a lot on his plate, but he loved every second of it because he sees the linebacker as the quarterback of the defense. Just all this kind of stuff, it, it gets your attention, right, from a UDFA talking like this. Certainly doesn't seem like a player uh, – who doesn't believe he can play in the NFL. He thinks he can make it in the NFL. And just based on his production at Indiana and the head on his shoulders, I think he has a great shot as well. So I'm, I'm excited about Cam Jones, just not the football player, also uh, his cerebral part of the game as well. Okay, who also fits this description almost to a T is Isaiah Moore, the linebacker from NC State, played a lot for the NC State Wolfpack. He, too, was a multi-captain. He, too, played a lot there. And speaking of understanding and acumen, he, he just showed up. I mean, watching him Sunday in particular, where, uh, again, what are you developing with UDFAs? How, much, how do they make the team? Two things. One, awesome depth. Two, special teams. And Isaiah Moore, much like Cam Jones, fits that mold. Now, Maybe Isaiah Moore is more of a Mike backer, a middle backer, than Cam Jones being a weak side backer. Don't know. You could see him doing both uh, because I think they'd have that ability. But Isaiah Moore, to me, I didn't know a lot about him coming in, not as much as Cam Jones, but it sure made me start to research him. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this guy was very Cam Jones-ish at NC State. Uh, when he was leading the way for the Wolfpack defense. And also a lot of production from this guy mm. in college. 55 starts in his college career, uh, team captain in each of the last three seasons, 341 tackles in his career, just a tackle machine, uh, 43 and a half tackles for loss, 11 and a half sacks, 11 passes defensed uh, for the Wolfpack. Dame Brugler called him a smash mouth run defender, but he was also pretty impressive in coverage during rookie minicamp because he had an interception on Sunday per your report. And then when I was watching him on Monday, also had an interception off a tip pass. So Isaiah Moore can do a little bit of everything, and you're right. Special teams is kind of where these guys would find their role, uh, especially initially. His skill set would translate to special teams, and he has experience doing that as well. Yeah, that Sunday interception caught my eye too because he was defending Rasheed Rice. 
and it's a middle pattern. So to your point, he had to drop, be recognized as coverage, and then who's in his area, right? It looked like zone coverage, but then he stayed with the play and actually got a very athletic interception against the Chiefs' second-round uh, wide receiver. But those are just examples. And then I also saw, and you can go into the class of 23 last week, we talked about the draftees, but we're a Shamari Connor, a specific, a B.J. Thompson, and a Nick Jones. And then you add these guys that special teams, I, I think, could just be elevated uh, in 2023. In fact, the early take, the too early to give uh, opinion, would be just that here in mid-May or close to it, that the chief special teams is going to be more athletic and more impactful. It's easy to look at special teams and not get excited about it, but the Chiefs have had some of the best special teams units in the NFL every year since Dave Tobe got here. And to add young, athletic, versatile players who are trying to earn their opportunity to play on either offense or defense, so they're hungry to show what they can do on the field, they're ready for any opportunity, and if that opportunity is special teams, uh, this special teams unit should thrive because of that. And teams can win or lose games because of their special teams. I mean, look at the Packers a few years ago against the 49ers in the NFC Championship game. If the Packers' special teams was just a little bit better, it wouldn't have been uh, the 49ers advancing. I think it was the divisional round, actually, not the NFC Championship game. But still, uh, the point remains. So special teams are important. And I think not just our draft picks, also the UDFAs that we brought in here have a great chance to contribute on special teams. Uh, a few other names just to gloss over here that uh, I think impressed during rookie minicamp. Uh, safety Anthony Cook from Texas. He had an interception on Monday. A defensive end Truman Jones from Harvard uh, was impressive. He had 13 tackles for loss and six sacks last season, so an interesting prospect. And there's also a few local guys that were here in town uh, for rookie minicamp that were under contract and are UDFAs as of this recording. Uh, safety Martez Manuel from Mizzou uh, was in this camp as an undrafted free agent signee. And then wide receiver Tyrone Scott from Missouri State and cornerback Montre Braswell from Missouri State uh, are both currently under contract with the Chiefs as of uh, Tuesday uh, and we're in this rookie camp. So some local products also impressing here in Kansas City. And again, fully anticipate the next couple of days, maybe already by the time you uh, listen or watch this podcast, that we would sign one or two of the tryout guys to the uh, roster. We'll close out this way, again, after rookie minicamp and uh, looking at these UDFAs and what they mean potentially to the Chiefs and how they impact the entire NFL, is now what? Because now it transitions to the next part of the offseason program and then to the OTAs. And these undrafted free agents, these draft picks, get joined with the veterans now to do the, OT, uh, the uh, OTAs, which the Chiefs, again, will approach it with a lot more emphasis than a lot of teams throughout the National Football League because Andy Reid wants to hit St. Joseph running. So he values these OTAs maybe as much or more than any team in the league. So we're currently in phase two, which means that uh, the rookies have left – and the veterans can be here if they want, and they can do very limited on-field work. What's next is phase three, and that includes OTAs. It's still very limited, but they can do some on-field stuff as a team. They can do team drills, even though there's no hitting, there's no tackling, uh, there's no pads on. They can still look like a football team operating offense versus defense, and the rookies will be back for that. And like we said at the top of the show, uh, this is their chance to use what they learned during rookie minicamp and try to mesh right away with the defending Super Bowl champions. And you're so right, Coach Reed maximizes every single second 
of OTAs. And not every team does that. A lot of teams have gotten rid of OTAs altogether, or they just do group bonding exercises. They go to a driving range, or they go to an arcade together to get to know each other. Sure, that's important. I don't think OTAs is the best time to do that because this is your chance and one of the only times you can get with your team on the football field and work as a team together. And by the time you get to training camp, all of a sudden, it's not a whole bunch of new information. You are just refining and mastering what you learned and practiced in May and June. So if anyone tells you that OTAs are not important, show them your two Super Bowl rings and say, hey, OTAs are important, and that's why the Chiefs have been winning all these years. It's not just what they do in the season. It's also what they're doing in May and June. Uh, just some housekeeping, if you're curious when those begin, the first round of OTAs will begin the week of May 22nd. Uh, we'll hear from Coach Reed and Patrick Mahomes and a few players uh, for the first time um, during OTAs on May 24th. There's three rounds of OTAs, so it'll be three weeks where they practice for like three days each week, and then mandatory minicamp follows that in mid-June. And then before you know it, we'll be heading to St. Joe for training camp at some point in late July. But a lot of football here on the horizon. It's not quite the real thing, but it's close enough at least for us to get excited about it. Uh, we can nerd out a little <laughs> bit. And a couple things here, why these OTAs are important is the load of information that the coaches on both sides of the ball and special teams put on these guys. One, it's an aptitude test. Two, they want it all pretty much in place. By the time they hit St. Joseph, they're reviewing and not installing. And that's big. That and then the work habits. If you're a Kansas City Chief and you enter the building, this is how we work. This is how we practice. This is how we recover. This is how we get ready to do it all again the next day. And that's a giant part of OTA. So when they hit St. Joseph, that orientation period basically has already been done. Now, you talk about the NFL trying to stay in the conscience of the American sports fan. <laughs> One of these days, won't they figure out, once the draft is over, that there will be the UDFA special? Yes, I'm And it'll be all these happened. calls and find who will be the UDFA signing with what team. The Chiefs have some good ones. He's Matt McMullen. I'm Mitch Holtis. And never underestimate the UDFA. Ten, Touchdown! Lock it down! And the celebration begins at Arrowhead.